Welcome to another episode of the Wood Couture podcast. In today's episode, we have Jana Bader, the general manager of Bench Event Saudi Arabia, and above all, a very good friend. Welcome to the show, Jana. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Excellent. Very exciting. I can't wait. For all our friends of the Wood Couture podcast that don't know Jana, you're missing out by not knowing her. She's a, a Saudi national, she has a fantastic background in PR and marketing. And also she's an entrepreneur. She started up a few companies in the past, but uh, now she's at the top of bench events, you know, driving growth into the events and communication business in Saudi Arabia. So, now that we are here, we want to know all about you, you know, I mean, uh, tell us a bit of the young Jana. Start, let's start from your childhood. Uh Absolutely. You know, coming into this interview, I started to close my eyes and remember everything in the past. And I kind of had some, you know, butterflies in my stomach remembering. So uh, as you know, my name is Jenna. I grew up in Khobar, Saudi Arabia, which is the eastern province. Uh, I went to an all girls school there and it was all Arabic. Uh, my dad is a civil engineering professor. He's been uh, an engineer in King Fahad University for over 45 years, just retired. Uh, I grew up there all my life, had my friends, the normal Saudi childhood life. Uh, after that, I graduated school. I went to the American University of Sharjah. I studied uh, advertising and PR. Uh, had a blast, honestly, one of the best universities um, out there in my experience. If anybody has any questions, please let me know about that. Um, I graduated from there and then my dad said, you know, come back home. <laughs> I was a bit resilient to doing that. Uh, but, you know, as a Saudi dad, he's like, no, you know, my girls cannot stay outside. So come back home. And I actually did that. I went back home. I, uh, I have said this story previously, but I'm sure your viewers don't know it. So I will just share it. Um, I went to an interview. Fantastic. Great interview. Did a good job. And I was about to sign. And just when I wanted to leave, I asked him, sorry, but where's the, the ladies restroom? And the guy says, um, you know what, we don't have the ladies' restroom, but you are more than welcome to go home, take a break, and then come back. That's when I looked at my dad, and I'm like, listen, buddy, I'm leaving. <laughs> you know, it's either Dubai or Bahrain, choose one, but I'm out of here. Um, so that was the situation back then. Um, unfortunately, he did not let me leave right away. I worked a little bit in his, uh, he had an engineering company as well, engineering construction. Uh, so I worked there a little bit. He's like, kickstart your career. You don't have something on your CV, on your CV before I get you out there. Um, it took me a year, a year and a half. And then I transferred to Dubai. And that's where my, my career kind of built up. Um, I went from one advertising agency to another, stayed about a year and a half, two years in each. And I worked my way up until the last job I had was uh, with Shangri-La Hotels and Resorts. That was one of my um, most memorable experiences, to be honest. Such a great hospitality experience for me, amazing team to work with, uh, amazing hotel um, brand to work with. So at that time, I was uh, heading almost five hotels under me, and I was taking care of their digital marketing. There was a director of sales and marketing in each of those hotels. Amazing, fantastic uh, people that I've also learned from. And uh, not forgetting to mention the VP, his name is Rob Whedon, which is right now in Australia. And if he's hearing this podcast, Rob, thank you for making my time in Shangri-La so memorable. 
um, outstanding guy. Uh, so at that time, I was taking them from um, from zero to hero, kind of uh, in a few months that I in a few years that I spent with them. Um, after that, I have welcomed my first daughter. Her name is Tia. Um, and I couldn't really go back to work because it was a 45 uh, days maternity leave and then I had to go back to work. Uh, so I made the decision to, to you know, just, you know, calm, calm down, enjoy motherhood and take a bit of a break, uh, which I did. At that time, my husband was traveling a lot for work and he was also doing his master's at the same time. Uh, so I wasn't able to kind of let the kids or let Tia at that time alone. Uh, this is when I open an events company called Eventualize. I hope the name works, um, but basically it's, it's visualizing your events. Uh, that's the concept of it. Um, as a one-man uh, show kind of thing, I had uh, resources that I pulled together every time there was an event. I was working on getting the clients and then getting the material for the for the event. So either I went to the event, made sure everything went right, or connected um, the the event the project managers to clients that I had, and I was kind of like the middle moderator. Um, I did a couple of online podcasts as yourself, um, also kind of uh, kind of like introducing the Saudi market to, to market entry level uh, companies. So it was very kind of everything at once. Uh, after that, I went into the retail business. So I opened, uh, I got my second son. And so I diverted a little bit away from events because I had to physically be at every event and that wasn't you know, very uh, ideal at that situation. Uh, so right next to my house, there was a vacant shop, which we decided to, you know what, let's open. I, and I had at that time kind of uh, got a little bit of money on the side, hoping that I would be my, I, I would get my MBA. That didn't go that way. I ended up spending it on, on a retail shop, which was also a great experience. Uh, so we opened a retail shop, we got the materials, uh, put it in the shop, you know, from A to Z, uh, sales of po uh, point of sales, uh, um, we got the merchants, the whole shebang. After that, in a few months, we uh, shifted the business to e-commerce. So I created a website, an application, um, 24 hours delivery for the products. So it was a, an entire kind of setup experience which was great, to be honest. Um, and then, unfortunately, we had to let go of that business when we moved to Saudi three years ago, three plus years ago. And here I am speaking to you. <laughs> wow, what a journey, you know, I mean, uh, it started a very long time ago, you know, I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, it's a really long time uh, but, but it's beautiful. And uh, at what point did you realize that uh, advertising and communication was your choice? So, so as my mom says, Thank God you're in events because you love to talk. <laughs> that is in a nutshell. That is in a nutshell. I mean, I, th I think I knew that was my path since I was seven years old. Uh, I love to talk to people. I would uh, create, you know, mini interviews with adults. Uh, and so I felt like the world of people, the world of networking, uh, the world of public speaking, that's where I felt I belong. Um, and yeah, I, I, I guess I proved my child self-correct. So why not a journalist? That was an interesting, actually, change of choice. Journalism is now dependent on 
another person and is dependent on the politics, which the rebel inside me, I think, would not do so good there. <laughs> so I, yeah, I prefer to, to kind of divert away from the journalism sector. <laughs> Why there is a rebel inside you, out of curiosity? What is that pushes you to be a rebel? You know, I, I think it's a third child syndrome. It's the, the little one. When, when, when the little one has older siblings, uh, they always tend to be this, you know, a stronger personality, want to be out there, um, have no fear of what's happening next, uh, and have a little less um, consciousness of the wrong being done. So I think that's, yeah, that's the rebel. That's probably the rebel in me. Right, the third child syndrome. That's an interesting concept. You know, I mean, uh, maybe we have to do a program on that, you know, you have to tell Absolutely. us all about. And uh, um, you mentioned the VP of Shangri-La, this Rob, I believe, this Australian. Oh, yeah, yeah. and uh, would you consider him as your mentor, mentor through your journey? To be honest, he's one of the people that I am very proud of as we speak right now. I'm still in touch with him. Uh, he's just, the best part in him is that he, although we were in a very structured community and very, you know, A, B, C, D kind of rules, regulated environment, I loved about him that he would always uh, challenge the status quo, always get new ideas and try to do them regardless of the circumstances. And I think that that's that's the part that I really looked up to in him, uh, which made me reflect on myself and take that journey forward. What was his best advice to you? Be yourself. All right. Be yourself. Absolutely be yourself. And this is something I'm taking on today as well. Uh, you've already met me, so you know how bubbly I am. And, you know, I like to speak and I'm smiling. And many people along the way have commented no, don't be so bubbly, be more serious. Uh, you know, clients are not gonna take you very professional. And then after his advice, I, I was like, no, you know what, this is me. And they, they like me because of that. And I'm getting the kind of clients that I'm enjoying to work with because of that. Uh, so absolutely be yourself. Absolutely. You are a boost of positivity, let's say it. <laughs> I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. You know, for sure. You know, with, uh, you describe yourself very well. Let, let, let me ask you: Do people find you intimidating for being so bubbly and so you know positive? Wow, that's a good question. I did, I I would not have thought anybody would think I'm intimidating. Uh, I I'd hope not because that's not the what I'm trying to spread to the world, but maybe I would understand your question because there aren't a lot of friendly people around nowadays. Uh, so maybe there's a fear factor to it. Maybe it's a yes. Particularly, <laughs> particularly, you know, I mean, and we need to be aware of that. You know better than me that, you know, you gave me an example earlier, said there was no even toilet for women, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, I think it's, um, in the hospitality industry in general, not particular to any country or anything, how do you think the gender equality subject is progressing? Hmm. That's a good question. I'm gonna bring you. I'm gonna bring you back to Saudi, because that was my personal experience. From where we were 
to where we are now, it is an outstanding change. Um, every time I go to a meeting, I'm used to having meetings with men. And now I'm starting to have meetings with women. And not just that, the women are becoming the decision makers, which is, uh, which is just amazing to see that from the day that I couldn't find a restroom, sorry for this, but to the day where the woman is the chairman, the CEO, a board member, an investor, an owner, and all at the same time, she's probably a mom or a widow or a divorced or a sister. So the spectrum of, of change that has happened in Saudi in terms of female leadership has been absolutely outstanding. And the best part about it is that, for example, my single friends who have graduated with me abroad, whether in the, state, in the States, in England, um, in, in the UAE, are now coming back and they're finding positions and they're opening their own companies and they're becoming entrepreneurs and they're comfortable to take their business forward. Uh, so no, I think I would answer your question in the scope of Saudi since this is kind of my, uh, my region and I think it's going wonderfully. Um, and I think women are gonna be such an important and already are such an important part of the progress that's happening right now. Sure. I mean, I mean, the evidence is clear. Even the ambassador to the U.S., probably one of the biggest and the most prestigious jobs, Arines, uh, she's, she's doing a great job. You know, I mean, it's, um, wow, she's a woman. You know, I mean, it's, uh, and uh, a, a lot of women in leadership. You know, I mean, uh, it's fantastic. And uh, um, it, it it is it is remarkable the transformation. I will call it and. Uh, but how Jana feels, you know, I mean, try to describe for people that don't know how Jana felt before and how Jana feels now from the, not the old and the new Saudi, in before and after transformation, let's call it. So three years ago, when we wanted to move to Riyadh, I was a bit hesitant. Why from Saudi? <clears throat> but then again, we uh, got to the airport. Uh, and when we reached, I saw what I didn't expect to see, I had a culture shock of my own culture. Um, the people that have um, welcomed us at the airport, they looked amazing. They spoke perfect English. Um, it was one of the easiest processes of airports that I've ever seen. I had held my little child on me because it was a night flight. Uh, and the guy that uh, welcomed us there, he was like, you know, would you like me to carry your child or would you like to sit until we finish your, your process? And my husband laughed at my face and he said, I told you it's changed. And I didn't believe, I myself did not believe that that change was even possible. Uh, and that was the shift that you're asking about. That was the moment of truth that when I arrived, I saw that there is something happening. And it is really happening. It is not just on paper. It is not just on news. The shift is taking place. It's happening. And I can see in my eyes and in my own experience uh, and in real time that it's you know, magnificent. So this is the before and after and my first experience with the before and after kind of. Well, it's a remarkable example, you know, I mean, uh, showing that, I mean, uh, for people that never experience 
you know, 10 years ago, the Saudi or 10 years, you know, particularly from a non-Saudi yeah. point of view, a non-Arab point of view, again, I'm, yeah. you know, but it's remarkable having somebody at the airport, male figure that help you, can help you with your child, although it's service, but I think people don't understand the cultural, the strong values that there is in Saudi with that before and now are completely different. It's yeah. And Filippo, the, 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 the men were speaking perfect English. Wow. They were speaking to me in English, perfect English. Some of them had British accents, some of them had American accents, but just beautiful, perfect, nice dialogue that I enjoyed listening to myself. Uh, so that was absolutely fantastic. So the, I think the good news is that the transformation is real. It's not just a good propaganda. Let, let, let's be clear. In here. It, it is happening from any levels, you know, not only at the big level. Now, uh, I wanted to ask you uh, another topic that I, I think is, um, you know, in oil-driven economies is always a, a challenge about sustainability. You know, I mean, uh, how is sustainability, you know, happening in the industry? And if you want to say in Saudi, up to you, you know, I mean, uh, what do you think? That's a good question. You know, I think that sustainability came a lot into the spotlight during the pandemic, uh, which is a blessing for the world to have had that pandemic to create that sustainability uh, kind of hotspot for everyone. Um, for me, for example, just starting at the compound level of Saudi Arabia in our compounds, we started, you know, throwing the garbage in the specific bins so that they go to the specific places. And even children here, and this is the most important part, even children here by themselves are creating groups, explaining to other children what sustainability is, how we can we uh, get the world moving forward. So it's not just the adults and the professional playing field that, that, that is going on. It's, it's starting to be embedded in kids. And I think this is the focus that I personally would like to highlight. It's absolutely, NIAM has a great sustainability uh, program. Dera'iya project has a sustainability program. The Red Sea has a sustainability program. They all have outstanding sustainability programs. But I think we should also highlight that the kids and the next generation is going to grow up with this mentality. So from now, within the next 20, 30 years, sustainability is going to take us places because of what these kids are learning from um, our professional fields. Out of curiosity, I wanted to ask you is, um, you know, talking about all these transformational changes, you know, changes not only to the country, but to your lives, you know, as Saudis is, uh, what is it? How, what kind of debates do you have with your father? I mean, your father is Saudi and, uh, you know, brown and bred, and uh, you are first generation. You saw different kinds of Saudi Arabia, let's call it, and you are the new generation seeing a transformation. What kind of debate do you get with him on this topic? Oh, Philip, you, you want me to get in trouble with my dad, don't you? <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, I'm sure there's no trouble. See, I mean, it's uh, open and friendly conversations. No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, so my father, he graduated from uh, Stanford University in the States. Uh, so he has a very American background, kind of. And so he's not 100% Saudi mentality. I will say I'm sorry to say that. Uh, uh, he's 100% for education, 100% uh, for women leadership, uh, creating your own careers, 
but the time that I graduated, it was a bit frowned upon for a female to study abroad and for a female to work abroad. So he had to kind of balance between what the society wants the woman to do and what he actually wants his girls to do. So it was a battle. It was definitely a battlefield that I would gladly say my, my older sister led for me. <laughs> she had the fight in the beginning. You know, I came up and the fight was over. I was ready to go. Uh, but there's there's definitely a conflict of um, society versus personal growth uh, objectives for sure at that time. Um, but if we're moving forward to now, then it, it is completely opposite. I know a lot of very uh, strict Saudi fathers that their daughters are going to work, coming back, driving at night. Um, especially healthcare workers, they are at the hospitals, especially during the pandemic, they've been at the hospital since the morning to 4am and they're coming back and the parents are okay with it. Uh, and this is where the, the shift that I'm talking about has come to place. The girls are driving, women are driving, it is extremely safe. Um, I'm happy to say I have not had one uh, incident from anyone during driving in Saudi, uh, the roads. Uh, so it is extremely safe for a female to be in Saudi, and it is great to have such big support from parents and especially uh, father figures and daughters moving forward. Right. Now, now that you are obviously uh, in charge of bench events in, uh, in Saudi, and Saudi they are, wow, I, I see the level of sophistication, the events they do, which is phenomenal, from the Future Investment Initiative, to your own Saudi Hotel Investment Conference, you know, I mean, it's, uh, I mean there is, uh, wow, quality of speakers, quality of program, quality of venues, Do you know, what, what's your, your day-to-day job, you know, I mean, what, what, what are you working upon right now? So, uh, you know, Bench, we have an office um, in the UK, we have an office in Dubai, and we are coming to open our office here in Saudi. Uh, we already have a great network of clients here that are looking forward to us opening, which is great. Um, I can say from my personal uh, opinion, especially about Bench, because I've recently joined them, they are an outstanding, outstanding, outstanding team of professional entrepreneurs that will absolutely deliver. And the best part is that they are all um, headhunted. I mean, they were all picked from many people to take on jobs like that. You know, the hospitality industry needs people with passion, it needs people to deliver, it needs very high quality individuals that are willing to work together to make a beautiful um, uh, event happen. And not just that, great personalities to stay connected um, with the clients. So I think one of the things that I especially love about Bench, um, the connections that Jonathan has, our amazing CEO, um, the way he talks to people, the way people interact back at him, the, the way they expect to come and enjoy every event. So there is a feeling, there is an experience. It is not just coming to showcase. It is not very uh, B2B rigid. It is very personal. It is very experience oriented. Um, so definitely this is what kind of differentiates 
the bench team and the bench events which you are loyal to attending uh, from all the other events and mind you Saudi has plenty of events um, but I think bench is going to do absolutely great here. What do you think is the challenge, the current challenges of the hospitality industry in Saudi at the moment? They're still there, you know, they need to be resolved. The only challenge I see which uh, is not going to be a challenge because they are working on it right now uh, is the English speaking skills and the, tra the hospitality training. Um, and I know for a fact that soon they will announce a couple of universities coming into Saudi for um, hospitality training and English speaking skills um, and facing the guest relations as well. Uh, so this to me would have been the biggest challenge as hospitality industry needs to hire thousands of new employees within the coming couple of years. Um, so this is definitely something to highlight. A few years ago, they introduced Saudatization. So basically, kind of um, providing guidelines and rules for the number, a percentage of the workforce that has to be Saudis. The question for you is, do you think the Saudatization rules still needed? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, explain it in another manner. You have plenty of Saudis outside of Saudi that are very educated. They have amazing backgrounds. They come back to Saudi and they don't find a job. So for them to be okay to come back and for them to be motivated to come back and bring on these skills that they have learned in Europe and America and UAE around back to Saudi, there has to be that rule. Otherwise, um, you know, Saudi will end up hiring professionals from around the world and not hiring the Saudi national that had also ha that also has the same skill set as the foreigner that is coming in to take that job. Uh, so I think it's going to be a bit of a rough patch on and off until we get to the uh, destination that they're, they're hoping to get to. I was very pleased to see that a few years ago when uh, I used to stay at the Aloft in uh, Riyadh, right, yeah. Nolaya Street, and uh, I remember that I used to check in, they were all Saudis, the guy checked me in. Very cool and funky people, young guys, yeah, jeans and t-shirt, which is the brand standard of a loft, you know, many so like that. Yeah, and, uh, and, um, and I thought to myself, you know, if you build the right assets, you don't need Saudatization. They will naturally apply for the job in their cool places. So. Uh, this is my professional opinion in a sense that I think before you need a saudatization because the transformation was not there. There was no a career path, there is no, you know, yes, one of the biggest markets Saudi without a doubt, but there was no uh, the light at the end of the tunnel for the young, yeah. for the youth, which is the same in every country, but in Saudi more relevant because why would I go work in hospitality for peanuts when I can go to a bank I get more money? Exactly, exactly. So uh, th that's why I've asked you that question. And, and, uh, and, uh, and um, do you see more women working in hospitality in the future? Absolutely, absolutely. So sh sh for example, Shangri-La has just opened their first uh, hotel in Saudi, in Jeddah, recently. And many of the workforce are actually Saudi women. Um, and they are 
prepared to take jobs in hospitality, definitely because MBS is also very focused on the hospitality sector in Saudi. Not just that, you have an entire country that is um, a gem and it's it has so many secret spots that are unbelievably beautiful. So to put a woman that is friendly, that can speak great English, that has amazing skills in these spots, it will, it will make a lot of a big difference. And I think what's happening now is that they are telling the younger generation that you can and you will, and there are these sectors and these sectors are going to be vacant for you. So they are going to be waiting for you. So just go to university, study, get your degrees and come, the job is ready. So there is a sense of security as where before there wasn't that sense of security. There was, I graduate and then there is another person that has my job already. Um, so I think slowly building the sense of security, comfort, uh, confidence in the future, that's the direction we're kind of hoping to get to. How this transformation has it created hope or has it created the right opportunity? Has it created hope or has it created the right opportunity? I think it's a combination of both. So everything in the world starts with hope. You cannot, you cannot go forward without hope. Today, I am living a dream that I did not think in my lifetime I would see, which is women driving their kids to school, women going then to their jobs. To you, it is a simple picture. To any European, it is a simple picture, but to Saudi is not a simple picture. To Saudi, there is so much depth into that. First of all, the hope where the children are seeing their mom, their female mom, dropping them to school and then seeing their female mom go to the job and then seeing their female mom contribute to the household and helping their father. So it is, you're building, it's not just hope for the adults, you're building a hope spectrum for children that are thinking, okay, you know, one day I'm gonna get married to a woman that works. One day it's going to be a partnership. One day we're going to grow this uh, country together as a team, which never happened before. Before it was male dominated. It was a, a big responsibility on the male of the house, you know, bring back the bread, bring back, the money but now it's a, it's a collaborative experience between females and males and now the brothers are supporting the sisters and the sisters are supporting the brothers so in when i say it starts with hope then i see this is where it starts so when this generation grows up and by the time this generation grows up and is ready to find a job i'm sure that saudi would have already got to that point where they know exactly each person and where they're going to be headed next. I think it was remarkable. Uh, I Two days ago, I went back in YouTube and watched the, the very first opening day of the Future Investment Initiative number one, mm -hmm. the very first one, where right. the Fox News presenter, which was the moderator, the, on a panel, uh, including Israel Lioness, Mohammed bin Salman, she asked him a question about uh, why these transformations and, uh, you know, I mean, uh, a lot of people are out there start seeing some Saudi, some areas of Saudi, you know, too extremist and that. Do you know what was his answer? I would love to we know. Are, we are doing all these things because I want to live a normal life. Yeah. 
For me, it was a remark, one of the most amazing answers that, because somebody rich, powerful, you know, with a legacy of thousands of years, you know, uh, royal and that, he can have everything, but he said, I want to live a normal life. And uh, I, can, I can mirror his answer into your answers. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Uh, although you didn't explicitly say it, but you say, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a combination it of both, open opportunities. Yeah, it is exactly my answer in a summary. Is 100% correct. To live a normal life um, and to give a normal life to our children and to see a future. And I think that's the key element that is moving us forward, to see a future. We are seeing, we are finally visualizing. We were visualizing a future and now we are seeing the future happening. So when I see the projects of Dera'iya, Neom, Amala, when I see, physically see these projects happening and I speak to people around me and they, are, they have just moved from countries next to us here to continue on this project, it just makes my heart flutter because it is finally happening and I see a future and, and I don't want to leave, which is, which is the key. I don't want to leave. That's interesting. So in the last few months, obviously, you, inter you talk to many important people, you know, ministers and this and that, you know, business guys and ladies. And uh, who is one that uh, impressed you the most, you know, or it was an interesting conversation? One specific, actually, I can't give you that answer. There wasn't one specific. It was it was a collective collective conversations, different aspects from each person. Um, the seniors in Saudi and the ministries are beautifully working together in sync to make things happen. So you have before we had. Um, just started the Ministry of Investment, just started the Ministry of Tourism, but now you see them collaborating in events, which is amazing. And this is one of the projects um, that I will tell you about later after the podcast. <laughs> but they are combined together now. They are working as a group to move Saudi forward, to move the tourism sector forward. Um, and that the, the heads of these ministries are giving so much opportunity to the employees in it to make it happen. Uh, so it's just a beautiful structure happening within the ministries that is moving forward. And it's definitely not one conversation. There are multiple, multiple conversations that are absolutely amazing. Obviously, you are a specialist in, you know, branding, communications, you know, apart from being a bubbly person, as you described by you, you know, all a smiley. And uh, uh, how all these investment that the PIF is making, some interesting investment like Newcastle Football Club and there is many others that's been, you know, that. How, how is that going to enhance brand Saudi worldwide? So what PIF is doing is involvement. They are being involved international. We have not been involved internationally for years and now we are out there. So to get, you know, the Riyadh season billboards in New York and in and in Canada and worldwide in, in Europe to have the Riyadh season billboards being there and for people to know there that Saudi exists and there are things happening in Saudi and Saudi is becoming the hotspot of the universe right now investment and and tourism um, specifically it's definitely a branding strategy it's definitely um, an awareness strategy 
so I think what they're doing actually is 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 amazing because a lot of people still don't know about Saudi. So it is building the curiosity of the international audience to know more and to ask more um, and to get the answers, of course. Do you think we will see more endorsement worldwide in terms of from Saudi Aramco? I mean, I was very interested to see that the Newcastle shirt says Saudi Aramco as a sponsor and uh, which if you look what Dubai did when they went worldwide endorsing sports, they put Emirates everywhere. Because for, mm -hmm. for Dubai, Emirates is the, the, the brand that represents them fully. Yeah. So I would imagine Saudi Aramco would be the number one company in the world with the biggest valuation and a, a, a giant in the petrochemical industry. You know what I mean? Is that, do, you, do you think we will see more uh, endorsement worldwide from Saudi Aramco or you know, brand Saudi, I call it, because I, I don't know what else can be reflected. I'm definitely going to agree with you on a brand Saudi. It might have, it might not be specifically Aramco. Aramco is the strongest uh, oil uh, industry in the world right now. Uh, but Saudi is diverting away from that. Uh, so it might not be Aramco, but it might definitely be made in Saudi. It's definitely going to be, um, you know, projects that are reflecting Saudi outside of Saudi. For instance, for example, our expo in, uh, in in Dubai, it represents Saudi. So you have thousands of people looking at it, being curious. So this is Saudi. And then you start to see Saudi, Saudi, Saudi everywhere in the world. And again, it's the same concept of PIF, which is brand awareness, um, curiosity, just letting the world know that we are here and we're here to stay. You know, you know as a, as a non-Arab uh, expat and uh, as a Christian, you know, for me, my biggest dream, if somebody asked me, would be to go yeah. to Mecca. I never had the chance to go to Mecca, and I don't know whether in my lifetime I will be allowed to go. And, uh, I'm and, so sorry. That's the only thing I cannot make happen for you. No, no. <laughs> I will put an application for it. You know. I'll send you pictures and videos. Yeah, but, but my question is, Saudi Arabia has something so unique, so yeah. unique, which is, you know, it's part of humankind history. And uh, do you think that in the future, you know, I mean, some, some like us, us that have different re religious and spiritual inclination will be allowed to, to see, you know, I mean, and, and experience the soul of Islam, you know, like uh, Makkah? Uh, this is going to be a very straight answer, but unfortunately, uh, Makkah is very, very, very special. And it is in our rules and in our religion rules that only Muslims get to see that place in real life um so i don't think it will ever happen unless i don't know something happens in the future that i'm not aware of uh but so far uh, not something that is going to happen but i'm sure we will be more than happy to live stream um take you on a virtual tour there showcase it for you in any creative way possible but to actually go there that i don't think will happen anytime in the future. Sorry. As a, in my former life as a consultant, I, I always loved to do jobs related to that. Is an economy in itself is, is unique. I mean, people that don't really know, they only look at the, obviously, the purpose of why people go there. They don't look at the, you know, the, the economics of, of Makkah is 
It's sensational. It's sensational. It's outstanding. And uh, to highlight, I've actually been to Hajj. I've been to pilgr to, to do the pilgrimage. Oh, uh, wonderful. Yeah, last year during uh, during the pandemic, the first one that they had done was about 60,000 people. Wow. Um, the operations to keep us safe, uh, the operations and logistics to get us from one place to another. And I saw it at a very small scale. So when I was there, I was just astonished as to how are they managing to get 2.5 million to, to one time 3 million people in and out in such a, just a perfect manner with very little issues absolutely outstanding i mean that by itself should be a case study for the professionalism and the the diverse and dynamic workforce that are you know collaborating to get this job done and it is not an easy job I, for myself i've seen it in a, such a few number of people we were as i said about 60,000 people and it was just perfect but I can imagine that if it is 2.5 or 3 million, wow, it just wow. It's incredible. It's outstanding numbers, settings, you know, and uh, the only feelings I cannot comment because I've never been. And I said to you, I don't know what in my lifetime I will be allowed to. But anyhow, what's your, in, in the next five years, what yeah. is that you want to achieve? In terms of Jenna or in terms of Jenna Bench? Both. <laughs> both absolutely we're actually one um so i have a lot of hope for bench to be the leading events company in terms of b2b in saudi uh we already have a great network of clients um we are very professional very profound nice people to work with we will deliver and we will deliver the product with a smile on our face and i think that is at the end of the day what makes the client happy what makes us happy to do our job. There's a, there's a lot of sectors that are um, up for um, opportunities right now. Education sector is very important for us to kind of dive into. Um, aviation is going places soon in Saudi. Uh, tourism, as you said, real estate, investment. So our, there are multiple sectors that uh, Bench is definitely going to deep dive into, into them and uh, as you know, bring high level events to the market. If I put a massive giant white canvas, you know, on top of Kingdom Tower, what message would you write on it? Be happy. Wow, why is that? Because when you're happy, you can make wonders. And when you're happy, other people are happy. And when you're happy, you send positive vibes and look at the world. Look at how the world would be if everybody's sending happy thoughts and positive vibes the, the sure. world will be bubbly as you described yourself earlier i would expect you to say come to saudi that's a big message <laughs> you gotta be happy to come to saudi <laughs> that's the feeling we're going for i'm a great fan of saudi i think in in the past 11 years i had um, do you know, I tell you a secret that I, I don't sell that much because A, I don't eat much pasta and B, because I'm a, a gluten intolerant. But that time I broke every rule on the planet. I, I flew into Jazan and uh, for a big job. This was 2012. 
Okay. And uh, and uh, at that time, I think there was only the Jazan Inn and the Dream Suites, just off the airport. Okay. And uh, yeah, yeah. I went inside with member of the municipality, and uh, and they prepared for us beautiful display of food. But then oh they brought me a plate of uh, seafood linguine. Oh, look at and that! I the smell. And the look, it was so inviting that I say, who cares if yeah, I'm gluten, gluten intolerant? Let me dive into <laughs> that. I dove into that plate of linguine. The taste was beautiful. The guy comes out, the chef was Italian, been there 15 years. Amazing. Everything locally sourced. The fish from the Red Sea, the eggs from the chicken here behind the hotel, and then everything was locally done. It was the most amazing plate of seafood linguine I have had, and despite being Italian, you know, which is a crime in my country, tell you that the best plate of linguine is in Saudi. But sticking I, I, I hope you're still in touch with the with the. With the I've not I've not been back to that place. I've been back to Jazam, but no. But I must admit, is I think I'm a great fan of Saudi because it's full of surprises, and. Uh, and full of treasures, you know, that has not been discovered yet. It's, uh, but, and on that note, concluding a very positive note and a very happy note, I would say, dear Jana, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, as always. Thank you, thank you.